The gospel is so important because it literally is the most important word or concept in the Bible. Paul, in fact, in our text today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says that he taught this as of first importance. This was of first importance to his listeners. And so today we are going to review the gospel. Now when I say we're going to review the gospel, some of you may say, well, I already know the gospel, so I can tune out right now. I can check my Facebook or maybe uh, my email, if that's what you're doing right now. Anyways, that's just a little reminder, maybe not to. Uh, But just because we've heard it before doesn't actually mean that we understand it or that we've uh, in, embraced it the way it should be embraced. While everyone that has been raised probably around the church says, well, I understand the gospel, or I know what the gospel is, studies would show that to actually not be true. In fact, the majority of Christians, according to studies, believe, believe that they play some role in their own salvation. You see, gospel means, when we talk about the gospel, what we're speaking of is the salvation that humanity has through Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. It's Jesus' work from beginning to end. But studies show that the majority of people, including the majority of Christians, believe that they play some role in their own salvation. Also, a majority of people, including a majority of Christians, believe that if they do enough good deeds, this will help them to get into heaven, that their works help them get into heaven. Now you may say, well, pastor, I know neither of those things are true. I know that, that, that Jesus is the only way and that it's Jesus' work and not my work. And again, we may logically say this, but we might live differently or act differently. But even if we do understand exactly what the gospel is and we believe exactly what the gospel is, it's the work of Jesus from beginning until end, we still probably need to review the gospel from time to time. And the reason for that is that we as humans in our sinful, due to our sinful nature, often neglect, forget, or ignore those things which are most important to us or should be most important to us. For instance, a husband and wife, may, they know that this is the most important relationship that they have in their life, their spouse, uh, their most important human relationship. Yet even though they know it's the most important, they get too busy and they don't talk and they don't communicate and then they have problems in their marriage. That which they know is most important, they still neglect and they put it aside. Parents have struggles with their children and they know that they should really be investing time in their children and yet they may neglect that time and they're spending that time instead working. And so the relationship with their children is damaged. Even that which we know is most important in our life and we know and understand at some cognitive level, we still oftentimes forget or neglect. Our health suffers because we neglect exercise or because we neglect sleep. We know as Christians that reading this book and studying this book is important and yet the studies show that even within the Seventh-day Adventist church, only 32% of us read the Bible on a daily basis. And yet, on average, we spend 153 minutes a day on social media. We know what's of most important, what's, what's most important, and yet we often neglect those things. 
There are a lot of things that we need to, need to be reminded of that we already know, and I believe the gospel is one of those things. Which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. He said, I know you've heard this from me before, but I want to come back to it again and remind you once again about what the gospel is and why it is important. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. And then Paul iterates or emphasizes, reiterates to them the importance of the gospel. He says, by this I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. The gospel I preached to you and which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse two, by this gospel you are saved. You are saved. I like William Barclay's words here. He says, the gospel was something in which the Corinthians stood on which the Corinthians stood. The very first function of the good news was to give people stability. In the slippery world, it kept them on their feet. In a tempting world, it gave them power to resist. In a hurting world, it enabled them to endure heartbreak or physical suffering and not to give in. The gospel in a shaky world keeps us on our feet. Emotionally, spiritually, theologically. But more important than that, Paul says that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is that which saves us, which gives us salvation. There are many in our world that are trying to teach that salvation can come through any avenue, any means, that all roads lead to salvation. This just isn't true. It's not true. Many want to believe, as we noted earlier, that if we do enough good deeds, enough good works in our lives, then, then we will receive salvation. And this just isn't true. Many want to believe that eventually all people will end up in heaven no matter what. There was a study done of 4,000 churches, and, and in those 4,000 churches, they, they, they surveyed people and about topics of salvation, and 63% of the people said eventually God will figure out a way to save everybody, no matter who they are or what they've done. These are churches that were being surveyed in this way. This just isn't true. We need to be reminded of the gospel because it keeps us steady in a very slippery world, but more importantly, it is the only way to eternal life. Paul, in his quick summary of the gospel that we'll see here in the next few verses, lays it out in four parts. Jesus, sin and substitution, the resurrection, and the evidence of the gospel, which is a transformed life. The gospel first begins with Jesus, and it is Jesus really in every format. Paul wrote, for what I received, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ, that Christ, another name for Jesus. Everything else in our text this morning explains the work of Christ. Paul loved using the word gospel, and he loved using this word in association with Jesus. Paul uses the word gospel more than any other writer in all the Bible. And he loved using it in association with, with Jesus. The word gospel, we've all come to just embrace as a religious term, right? We think of it, if anyone hears gospel 
almost everybody who's been around church thinks of it as a religious word. But before it was a religious word, the word gospel, euangelion, was a secular word. And it was only used in society to announce those things which were the most transformative in earth's history. And so when someone would speak of the gospel prior to the days of Paul and prior to the days of Christian, they were speaking about something that happened in history that was transformative. And so Paul comes along and he takes that word gospel and he says, you know what, this is a good word to use for Jesus because Jesus is the only true transformative agent in history. And Paul didn't just use it on the, on the, on the idea of a global scale, but, but he made it more personal and direct for you and for I. History is changed by the work of Jesus. And not just history, but your history, your personal history is changed by the work of Jesus. That is what makes Christianity different from all other religions and all other uh, belief systems in our world. In every other belief system in our world, the primary implementer of change in your life is you. Whether it be the five pillars of Islam or the eight-step path to enlightenment of, of Buddhism, whatever it may, may be, all of these things are about what you must do in order to get to a certain place, in order to change your history. But the gospel is not about a set of directions that you must follow, but an account of what has been done for you by Jesus Christ. The entire rest of this text is, is all about the work that Jesus has done for us. His death, his resurrection, and the transformation that occurs in your life. There is not even a call in this passage for repentance. And by the way, even repentance does not precede a person coming to Jesus. That may be surprising to some of you. Wait, I thought we had to repent in order to come to Jesus before we could come to Jesus. I love the quote from, from the writings of Ellen White, one of my favorite books, Steps to Christ. It's a bit of a long quote, but stick with me here. Just here is a point on which many may err, she writes, and hence they fail of receiving the help that Christ desires to give them. They think that they cannot come to Christ unless they first repent and that repentance prepares for the forgiveness of their sins. It is true that repentance does precede the forgiveness of sins, for it is only the broken and contrite heart that will feel the need of a Savior. But must the sinner wait till he has repented before he can come to Jesus? Is repentance to be made an obstacle between the sinner and the Savior? The Bible does not teach that the sinner must repent before he can heed the invitation of Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It is the virtue that goes forth from Christ that leads to genuine repentance. And then she quotes Acts chapter 5, verse 31, in which Peter said the following. Jesus hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. She continues, we can no more repent without the spirit of Christ to awaken the conscience than we can be pardoned without Christ. Christ is the source of every right impulse. He is the only one that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for truth and purity, every conviction of our own sinfulness is an evidence that his spirit is moving upon 
our hearts. In other words, folks, even the act of repentance is an act of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone. All the good we do after we repent is the work of Jesus. But hear this, but hear this. Again, the gospel, the good news, is that your work is of no effect in your salvation. Not five pillars to keep, not eight steps to enlightenment, not four Hail Marys or three Our Fathers, and not even keeping a day holy plays a role in your salvation. Only Jesus and only his work. None of it saves you, only Jesus. The second part of this treatise Paul is reviewing is is Jesus' action of dying on the cross. He says, for this I received and I give to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. Paul tells us that Christ died for our sins. He tells us why he died for us. It is for our sins. A lot of us need a lot of things from Jesus. We need wisdom and guidance from Jesus to to instruct us in life. We need peace and, and hope from Jesus. We need encouragement from Jesus. We need strength from Jesus. There's a lot of things that we need from Jesus, but the thing we need from Jesus most of all is his saving power and his saving grace. The Bible teaches the following, that everyone who breaks the law sins. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible then tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means, in other words, that all of us are lawbreakers and therefore all of us are sinners. This is a big deal. Because in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says that the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, the punishment for sin is death. And this is not talking about a temporal death or a physical death, but this is speaking of death as an eternal separation from Jesus Christ, an eternal separation from all of God's people. So here is the picture that you and I are in as humanity. All humanity are lawbreakers. Therefore, all of humanity are sinners. And all of humanity, therefore, have to pay a price. And the price for all of our sin is death. This makes sin our most fundamental problem that we face as humans. You might think right now that your most fundamental problem that you face in your life is your bank account. It's not true. You may think right now that the most fundamental problem that you face in your life, the most uh, intense problem that you face in your life right now is some physical illness or from some sickness. Some of you might think that right now the most fundamental problem that we face as a society is climate change. I had a person call me up and say, Pastor, we need to talk about climate change more because we're going to destroy ourselves and our earth. Well, I think that we have a responsibility, according to the book of Genesis, that we are to take care of this earth. We are to be keepers of God's earth, so we should care about climate change. But folks, the climate is not going to destroy you, but sin will. Your most, the most fundamental challenge facing humanity right now is not the 2020 election. Some of you don't believe that, but it's true. It's not Iran or Korea or Russia or, or North Korea or Russia. It's not even the coronavirus. You might have heard even just yesterday, I think it was, that the CDC is preparing for a major outbreak of the coronavirus virus here 
in the United States. All these things may or may not be problems, but they are not the fundamental human problem. The issue that is going is guaranteed to destroy every single one of us without some intervention is sin. Is sin. Again, this is what makes the gospel different, though. And what, what, what we learn about the gospel that is, that is so different from every other relationship in our lives. Think about it. If your friends wrong you, if a friend wrongs you, our expectation is for them to do something to fix it. If our children disobey, then there is an expectation for them to do something to fix it. If we, if we mess up with a colleague at work, the expectation is, is that, that we will do something to fix that wrong we've done with our colleague. In other religions, if you disappoint the divine, there are things you must do in order to fix it. But not so with Jesus. This relationship is, is different than any other. Jesus didn't just come and give us principles to live by to help us help ourselves out of our fundamental sin problem. We raise our children and we tell them, you were unkind to the neighbors. You need to go and you need to apologize and you need to, you need to make it right. Our kids do something at school and they're disrespectful to the teacher. We go and tell them, we tell them, you need to go and make this right. We do something against Jesus, our creator, our savior, the redeemer of the world, and he says to us, I will come and do something to make it right. Unlike any other relationship in the history of mankind, Paul writes, I taught you this of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. And the Cree word there is for. It lacks power in the English language because we use the word for in so many different ways. But in the Greek, the word for is, is hooper. And it means on behalf of, in place of, as a substitute for. That's the gospel. This is Jesus saying to us, I died on your behalf as a substitute for you. I took what you deserve. I took the place you deserve so that you could receive all the glory that I deserve. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God. That is what sin is. When, every time we sin, what we're basically saying is I want to be my own little God of my life. That's what sin is. Anytime I step outside of the directions of this book and the instructions of this book, I am saying to God, I think I'm smarter than you, I think I know better than you, and so I'm going to be God in my life today. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God. Well, salvation is God substituting himself for you, putting himself where you deserve to be, where I deserve to be. Please ponder that for a moment. Ponder that for a moment. We are all dead men and women walking without the gospel, without the work of Jesus 
Christ. An individual that is on death row that has accepted Jesus Christ is more alive than the person who is walking the streets free and has not accepted the entire work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. Sin is our most fundamental human problem, but Jesus died so it doesn't have to be our problem anymore. That is the gospel. That is good news. The mess we made for ourselves, Jesus said, I died so that you don't have to endure that mess anymore. Then Paul wrote, and this is the third aspect that we look at in his treatise on the gospel, as related to the gospel. Paul wrote, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The third aspect of the gospel that I want us to look at today or think about today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is so important. It, it, it ratifies the death. It seals the, the act that Jesus did on our behalf in dying on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17 tells us that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The resurrection assures and secures the future salvation that we all desire. Our future salvation is not just being forgiven and then going on and living a good life here on this earth. Our future salvation is not just being forgiven and, and, then, and then living in some soul-like state non-physical state in the universe. Our future is a resurrected body and a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more income problems, no more political elections. Can we say amen to that? Amen. This is something every human being desires. And it is guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You all desire this whether you realize it or not. How many of us have heard of the term escapism? Have you heard of escapism? We, 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 it's the reason why people use drugs. They want to escape from, from some difficult reality. It's the reason why, why people go home after a stressful day and they drink a little bit so that they can escape from some struggle that they had during the day. It, it's the reason even why we, which is within our uh, uh, subculture, what has become acceptable and safe, why we enjoy so much entertainment. It's, it's escapism, a tendency to seek distraction or relief from unpleasant realities. J.R. Tolkien wrote years ago about things that humans like to imagine. Uh, Tolkien was writing about escapism, although he didn't use that, that language, but he was saying, he had a list of things saying that people love to, to, to move into fantasy or to think about things in fantasy. And he had a list of things that, that humans like to do. And his list still holds up. He says, the first thing he said that humans love to escape to, they like to think about the ability to step outside of time, to not be controlled by the normal bounds and parameters of time. Now, if we think about our modern entertainment, I don't know about the most modern time travel movies, but when I was a kid, Back to the Future series, you put some lettuce in a car and you can not be bound by time anymore. Or for some of you folk that are a lot older, maybe, not a lot older, a little bit older, maybe, uh, Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves and that lady that, uh, that was Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, uh, a Bond girl. 
whatever her name was. What's her name? Jane Seymour, thank you. They haven't seen the movie, they just are really smart like that. Uh, but it's a time travel movie. It's this, it's this time travel. There's some, there's some, it has a nice score in it. I know that's why you musicians are, are enjoying it. Um, it's a time travel movie. And, and, and he's saying humans love to escape into the fantasy of, of being outside the parameters of time. The second thing on his list, he said that humans love to imagine the idea of escape, escaping from death. That death ultimately has no sway over us. And, and and so many of our movies are about this, about people that die, but they don't really die, or they still have somehow have power to communicate and to work and to do all of these things. We like to escape to stories of a place, he says, where there is always a happy ending and love is always at the end of that story. This is Tolkien. This is the third thing on his list. You know what we call that? Romantic comedies. When Christine and I were dating, and even early in the first few years of our marriage, when, when she had a bad week, our go-to movie was Notting Hill. Do you remember this movie with Hugh Grant and, and Julia Roberts? I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. Spoiler alert, guess what? He does! We, we, we go to these movies all the time, but we know the ending. Yay! And then it ends with them sitting on a park and she's having a baby, not on the, in the park, but she's pregnant. And, and we are all happy. We love to escape to these things. We like movies, uh, or he doesn't use the word movies, but Tolkien says we like the fantasy of being able to communicate with aliens and beings from other planets. Every Star Wars movie that ever is made, every Star Trek movie. And finally, we love Escaping to the fantasy world, Tolkien says, where good overcomes evil. All of Marvel, Marvel and the superhero things that are out there. We love these stories not because they're original. They're repeated over and over and over again. We keep going back to them because they scratch where we as humanity itch. We have this incredible longing for this escapism to somewhere else to these other things. And here's the truth. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it really happened, all of those things are actually, truly going to happen. Not Marvel heroes and cars that jump time through lettuce, but the concepts we desire. That, that, that no longer are we bound by the same parameters of time. We grow up but never grow old. There's never going to be death. There's always going to be love at the end of every story. We'll get to communicate with beings from other planets. Most importantly, Jesus. And good overcomes evil. These fantasies we like to escape into, guess what? They're guaranteed because of the gospel. They're realities. You don't need to go watch a movie, just love Jesus. You'll experience them all. And then the last component that in this little summary that Paul gives of the good news is the good news is Jesus, by his grace, by his power, by his work, changes us. 
He makes us different, not just in the future, but he makes us different in the here and now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God working with me or through me. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh minister who's now deceased, he said he would discern if people understood the gospel through just two simple questions. He would first ask an individual, are you a Christian? And if these people said, yes, they were a Christian, he said, how do you know or, or by what, what means do you think you are a Christian? And Martin Lloyd-Jones said that oftentimes the answer that these people would give would be something like this. Well, I'm trying hard to live according to the teachings of the Bible. I'm trying very hard to be like Christ. I try to make sure I go to church on a regular basis. I try very hard to surrender and be like him, etc., etc., etc. If they answered like that, Jones said that he knew that they didn't understand the gospel because the gospel from first to last and everything in between is the work of Jesus Christ and you not trying harder. Three times Paul says in this last little section, the word grace, three times. He's talking about his life change and he's talking about his, 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 the works that he's doing but in every moment of that, he comes back to it's not by my work but it's the grace of God. Not by my work but the grace of God. He writes that, that, that he is what he is now. He was once a persecutor of the church, of believers, but now he testifies of who Jesus is because of the gospel, the grace of Jesus. He says that the grace continues to have an impact on changing him. He says it is not without effect. In other words, it, it is continuing to work on his life. He's, beginning, he's continuing to be changed day by day through the work and the grace of Jesus. And then even when he's talking about his works, he says, for I work harder for the cause than anyone else, but it's not because of me, and it's not through me, but it is because of grace. Paul says, I am a living, speaking, working example of the gospel, and he gives all credit to the grace and the power and the work of God. Paul wrote, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news. Paul told us, it is, first, it is of first importance. We can grow up all our lives in this and still neglect the gospel. We can grow up all our lives in, 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 in knowing who Jesus is and still think that we are the ones responsible for our salvation. Paul said this is of first importance, the gospel. And so today, brothers and sisters, I pray you'll walk this week and you'll stand this week and you will live every day this week remembering the gospel, which is this. Jesus died for your sins without your help. Jesus was resurrected from the grave without your help. And Jesus has the power to transform your life without your 
help. From first to last, it is always and only Jesus Christ. Jesus, I pray that you'll put on our hearts the desire for the gospel, that you will come into our hearts, I ask, and that you will save us through your power and that you will change us through your power. Lord, we want to be more like you tomorrow than we are today, but not by our might nor by our strength, but solely by the power and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Do this in us, Lord, which we cannot do for ourselves, and we thank you in your name. Amen.